when we begin to move out of the prophetic and we begin to minister to somebody, that's called taking a risk. How many of us are willing to take the risk even when you look like a, you don't know what you're doing? You know, half the time when we step out and we, we, we begin to move in the prophetic, we hear a word. For those who've been in our prophetic schools, you hear a word, and then it's that it's the bubbling, the, 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 the bubbling that comes up out of you. You release the word. You don't know what the Lord's gonna do with the word. The person can be like, oh, you're crazy. What I mean, but no, it takes risk. There's a risk that happens. So, risk takers, they're willing to kick fear aside and take on the challenges regardless of the outcome. I think about myself growing up as a child. I've always been crazy. I've always been a risk taker for my and just just me growing up. I was the kid that, that <laughs> I, I had a bicycle when I was younger, and my bicycle didn't have a chain. And so, you, for those who know, you need a chain. The more you pedal, so which means if you didn't have a chain, it means you didn't have no brakes, right? Well, I would ride my bicycle down the steep, the steepest hill that I could find, and I would be there like a madman, just ah! and no brakes, no nothing. I'm just flying down this mountain of a street until one day I hit a rock in the middle of the road. I must be going. Listen, I'm not, I kid you not, about 35 miles an hour, maybe, at least. I mean, shh. I hit this thing. My tire goes. I fly out this bed, the back. And I hit the gravel, and I slide on my back. My whole back got destroyed, like bloody, horrible mess. But it was so fun. I had fun. Like, I, I was like, what? And my mom was like, are you crazy? Like, yeah, man. I was like, told my friends, man, you got to try this. All bloody and uh, you got to try it, man. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I was always, you know, I, I did a lot of things that were stupid, too. <laughs> things that would have killed me. But God, right? But God. I was, I was the kid that um, didn't have a lot of money growing up. Me, me and my mom, we, we struggled. And I would see all the kids that had a lot of money, and they had the best bikes. And I had the old... Cheap Huffy, the Huffy bike, and it's the one that had the big old fat tires. The ones that had it was like it was created for dirt biking or whatever. But all my friends had the mongooses, and they had the red line, and they had the—I mean, it weighed like three pounds. And here, my bike was like eighty-five pounds, and I had you know horrible. It was like man. So I wanted to. I, I was. I know this isn't like even. Holy, but I wanted the bike that that I could go backwards, you know, where you could go and you go. They would call it freewheel. So you would go backwards, but on my bike, every time I'd go backwards, it was a brake. You so right, yeah. You had to be there, guys. So, yeah. So so I wanted. So what I did is I said, man, I'm gonna take apart my bike. I took apart my bike and put up my, my thing. I popped up the tires. I opened up the cylinder of the tire. I took out all the ball bearings. I took out all this stuff. And then I went like, Phew. and then my, I had freewheel. 
I had free I, mean, I did my own, but I was willing to take the risk to make it happen, not even knowing that, like, it broke two days later and I lost my bike because it went like it didn't happen. But, but it was good for like two days. I was like, hey, I'm one of the guys, right? It was good. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I, but I see those things even in my son, in my sons now. <laughs> I see that in my, my, my youngest son, Chris. I look at him, and this this young man is out there with his truck, and he's taking apart the headlights, and and he's got wires, and his truck's all upside down, and I'm like, are you crazy, man? I'm like, man, just hire somebody to do this. No, Dad, is you crazy? That's a lot of money. He's got one charge me six hundred dollars. I said, do you know how to do it? No, but he's in there, and he, he's taking a risk to do what he's doing. And now me, my age, the wisdom I got, like, well, son, you don't want to do that. Because if you mess up, you're going to make something that's 50 bucks, $600. But no, he does it. And half the time, he's like, he does a really good job, man. Now I'm just calling my son, hey, do you think we can do this to my truck? Or He says, yeah, but you know, you, but you don't trust me, Dad. Oh, yeah, you're right. You know, but taking a risk, we got to take a risk. We can't fear the outcome. Maybe some of you have uh, been feeling like you want to move forward in the things that the Lord has for you, but you just allowed fear to stop you from moving forward. Fear of what it looks like. Listen. I know as, as, as fathers, as, as leaders, dads, right, we, we, we have to make decisions. And sometimes we make the decisions based on what's best for us in our mind rather than what the Spirit of the Lord is leading us to do. Because sometimes the Bible says to lean not on your own understanding, right, but to trust the Lord. And sometimes the Lord tells you to do things that makes no sense. Now, mind you, listen, I'm not, this is not me telling, this is not me being prophetic. I'm not saying for you to do any of this stuff. But I'm saying sometimes the Lord will tell you things like, hey, I want you to stop your job and trust on me. I'm not saying quit your job. That's not a disclaimer. Bam, you heard it. It's on camera. <laughs> but he asked us to do certain things, and we're like, man, God, how do you want me to, you know, I, 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 can I believe God for that? Can I trust God for that? But not knowing that God has a whole plan already set before you that we don't even know what it looks like. Has no, we have no idea what it looks like. That's a huge part of our story. Way before we came to Ohio, and y'all have heard, heard me talk about this a little bit, and I'm just going to touch on it just a tad. But the Lord told us to pick up everything that we knew and we had. I mean, and it wasn't just my journey or my wife's journey, but it affected my kids too. My son was a senior in high school. My other son was, was I believe he was a freshman. And, and he was involved in sports and he was in a football team. And he had dreams of, 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 of he was going to go to play for, for, I believe it was Oklahoma. I could be wrong if I am. Please forgive me. But he wanted to play football. And so it affected all of us. 
this vision that the Lord gave us. And he, the Lord says, I want you to pick up everything that you know, and I want you to leave everything behind. And he goes, I want you to go, and I want you to move to Alabama. And mind you, when we go to Alabama, we have no idea what that's supposed to look like because we had no, like, there was no finance. We had no job. We had none of those things. But we just said yes to the Lord. We took a risk in stepping out. We had to trust the Lord for the unknown, not knowing what it looks like. And I believe that's where some of us are at today. The Lord is asking us to take a risk. Not knowing what it looks like. It could be with your family. It could be with your money, with your jobs, your school, your friends, your comfort level. See, our whole life, ours, we submitted to Jesus. And I can't tell you how uncomfortable that was for us. You want to talk about a faith walk for us. I mean, we're still on the faith walk, but it got a little bit easier after a while. But to leave everything that you had, not know where you're going to Listen, we didn't know where we were going to live when we drove into Alabama. We're literally in a U-Haul truck. <clears throat> not knowing where we're going to live, we arrive in Alabama and somebody comes and they give us the keys to a house. We didn't know what the house looked like. We didn't know what it was going to be. Not only did they give us the keys to the house, they gave us, they provided dinners and foods and people to come in. And the Lord, like we didn't know what it was going to be, but God provided. But we said yes to the risk. So what I want us to do is, is this morning, I want us to turn to 1 Samuel 25. Because we're going to talk about taking a risk. First Samuel 25. <clears throat> and I'm going to start on verse, I believe, uh, 2. It says, uh, Then David moved down to the wilderness of Moan, where there was a wealthy man from Moan who owned property near the town of Carmel. He had 3,000 sheep, and 1,000 goats. It was a sheep shearing time. This man's name was Nabal, and his wife was Abigail. Was a sensible, and she was a beautiful woman. But Nabal was a descendant from Caleb, was crude and mean in all of his dealings. When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent 10 of his young men to Carmel to, uh, with this message for Nabal. He says, peace and prosperity to you and your family and everything you own. I am told that it is sheep shearing time. While your shepherds stay among us near Carmel, we have never harmed them and nothing was ever stolen from them. Ask your own men and they will tell you that this is true. So would you be kind to us since we have come at a time of celebration? Please share any provisions that you might have on hand with us, with your friend David. David's young men gave this message to Nabal in David's name, and they waited for a reply. Now, this is the reply. He says, who is this fellow David 
Nabal sneered to the young man. Who does this son of Jesse think he is? There are lots of servants these days who run away from their masters. Should I take bread and my water and my meat that I've slaughtered for my shears and give it to a band of outlaws who come from who knows where? So David's young man returned and told him what Nabal had said. And then this is David's response. Get your swords, exclamation mark, right? Was David's reply, was David's reply and he strapped on his own. Then 400 men started off with David, and 200 remained behind to guard their equipment. <clears throat> so, a picture. This is during a time that, that David knows he's, he's destined to be king. He's supposed to be king. He knows that. But he's on the run from King Saul. So he's, he's, he's running from Saul. So what they're doing is they are, they are, they are out there. And, he, and in this journey that he's out there running, he begins to gather a bunch of men. And they, they begin to go and they were, they were sort of protecting the people in the land. They were, they were like the Robin Hoods, right? <laughs> yeah, they're right. That's right. So they were protecting. So what they would do is they would go and they would protect the sheep herders. They would protect the, all the shepherds from the outlaws and the thieves that were in the land. And what they would do is they would bless them for protecting them. So, so they, as they would guard their properties and stuff. So we go back to verse 14. It says, meanwhile, one of the boss servants went to Abigail and told her, David's messengers from the wilderness Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Uh, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, but he screamed insults at them. These men have been very good to us, and we've never suffered any harm from them. Nothing was stolen from us the whole time they were with us. Verse 16, in fact, day and night, they were like a wall of protection for us and the sheep. You need to know this and figure out what to do. Uh, for there is going to be trouble for our master. And then it says, uh, and his whole family. So his ill-tempered, and no, for he is ill-tempered and no one can even talk to him. Abigail wasted no time. And she quickly gathered 200 loaves of bread, two wineskins full of wine, five sheep that had been slaughtered, nearly a bushel of roasted grain, and a hundred clusters of raisins. And 200 fig cakes. She packed them on donkeys and said to her servants, Now go ahead, and I will follow you shortly. But she didn't tell her husband, Nabal, what she was doing. Verse 20. As she was riding her donkey into the mountain ravine, she saw David and his men coming towards her. David had just been saying a lot of good it did to help this fellow. We protected his flocks in the wilderness and nothing he owned was ever stolen. But he has repaid me with evil for good. Verse 22 says, May God strike me and kill me if even one man of his household is still alive tomorrow morning. So he was about to go kill everybody. So one thing it doesn't describe in there is like I, I, I was trying to find out. I was like, how many men did Nabal have? 
why did David need 300 or 400 men to go kill just a family? Just, just food for thought, right? <laughs> food for thought. That might be something to study into for you guys. So then verse 23, it says, When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and she bowed low before him. She fell at his feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. I know Nabal is wicked and ill-tempered man. Please don't pay him any attention. To, to please don't pay any attention to him. He is a fool, just like his name suggests. But I never even saw the young men that you sent. Now, my Lord, as you surely, as the Lord lives in you, and you live, yourself live, since the Lord has kept you from murdering and taking vengeance into your hand, let all your enemy and those who try to harm you be cursed as Nabal is. And here is a present that I, your servant, have brought to you and your young men. Please forgive me, and I have offered to, and if I have offended you in any way, the Lord will surely reward you with lasting dynasty, for you are fighting for the Lord's, you are fighting the Lord's battles, and you have not done wrong throughout your entire life. Verse 29 says that even when you are chased by those who seek to kill you, your life is safe in the care of the Lord, your God, secure in his tr uh, treasure pouch. But the lives of your enemies will disappear like stones shot from a sling. When the Lord has done all he has promised and has made you a leader of Israel, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of the needless bloodshed and vengeance. And the Lord has done for these great things for you. And then she says, please remember me, your servant. Now here we go in verse 32. David replied to Abigail, praise the Lord, the God of Israel who has sent you to me today. Thank God for your good sense. Bless you for keeping me from the murdering and carrying out vengeance with my own hands. For I swear by the Lord, God of Israel, who has kept me from hurting you, that if you had not hurried out to me, not one of Nabal's men would still be alive tomorrow. Morning. 35. Then David accepted her present and told her, Return home in peace. I have heard what you said, and we will not kill your husband. When Abigail arrived home, she found that Nabal was throwing a big party and was celebrating like a king, and he was very drunk. So she didn't even tell him anything about what, the meeting with David until the next day. And in the, morning, uh, in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him what had happened. And as a result, he had a stroke. And he laid paralyzed in his bed like a stone. And ten days later, the Lord struck him and he died. And you can go on to see how after that she goes and she, she marries David and, and all that good stuff. But you see, Abigail was a risk taker. She, she took a big risk doing what she did. And I thought it was an interesting thought because, look, it says in, in the Old Testament that Nabal in the Old Testament was an example of the kind of person that Romans 1 talks about. It says that he was filled with wickedness 
greed, insolence and arrogance, drunken slander, and hostile to those outside his circle. Outside his circle. It says that Nabal was the epitome of what God hated. He was the epitome of what he hated. And it's, we read that, that this would be like, a, like this could be a picture of a warning of what it would look like when God is mocked. We see in Galatians uh, 6, it says, don't be mis- misled. You cannot mock God and the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. Galatians 6, 8 says, whosoever sows in their sows Please, well, I'm sorry, whoever sows to please their flesh from their flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. One of the things that, that, that I thought was interesting was, was this, was uh, that he, he was, I don't have the, the word, but he was from the, 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 the the tribe of Judah. Nabal was part of the tribe. Of, he was from the clan of the clan of Caleb, the tribe of Judah, which was promised. They they had a promise coming out, so they all had. They both had a promise. So then you see, you see Caleb, and the promise that was on Caleb, and it says that Caleb was known as a man who wholeheartedly loved God. He wholeheartedly loved God. And then you see another picture from the same tribe, the same clan of the tribe of Judah, who was known by his pride, his arrogance, and a man who hated God. But he didn't hate God, but his and I believe I believe that's a picture. I believe that's a picture for us even today of the condition of the church. Because see, both of them had a promise. They both had a promise, but the one the way they viewed God was different. Both of them were saying in the name of God, the Father, they were they were both like they both believed. But one perspective didn't have the fruit of the spirit. <laughs> So the way they saw God was totally different. I believe that's, that could be a picture of where we're at right now, even in the church today. How we know who God is, is, is it's a, it shifts everything. Holy Spirit. Another example that we can look at, let's turn, uh, we're going to see, we see this in Joshua 2. And it is a picture of Rahab. We know the story of Rahab. It describes Rahab as a, as a harlot. You can see that in Joshua 2.1. She, she was a prostitute, right? Then Joshua sent two spies from the Israelite camp at Arcadia Grove. He instructed them to scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men sent out and they came to the house of the prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there that night. Let's, let's turn to Joshua 2 really quick. Joshua 2. Oh, 
risk-taking. <clears throat> then Joshua sent out two spies from the Israeli, Israelite camp at the Arcadia Grove and instructed them to scout the land out on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. The two men sent out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho that some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king, the king of Jericho sent out orders to Rahab to bring out the men who have come into your house. So they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I don't know where they're at now. I don't know where, they're, where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. But if you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hid them beneath the bundles of flax that she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the, the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing of the Jordan River. As soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to, the, to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk with them. She says, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in this land is living in terror. For we have heard now, we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea. Then you left Egypt, and we know what you did to Shion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has, has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. The men agreed, if you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and we will be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. Then since Rahab's house was built on, into the town wall, she let them down a rope through the window, escaped to the hill country, and she told them, hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then they will have returned to you. You can go, wait, then, I'm sorry. Then when they returned, you go, can go back your way. Before they left, the men told her, we will be bound by oath. We have taken only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave this scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you will let us down. And all your family members, your mother, your father, your brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside the house. If they go into the streets and they are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on the people inside the house, we will accept responsibility for their death. If you betray us, however, we will not be bound by this oath any way. I accept your terms, she replied, and she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. 
the spies went into the hill country and stayed with her, stayed there for three days. The men who were chasing them searched everywhere along the road, but they finally returned without success. But the two spies came from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, and reported to Joshua all that had happened. And the Lord has given us the whole land, they said. For all the people in the land are terrified for us, terrified of us. <clears throat> Rahab not only hit the men on the rooftop, but she also lied to the king's men about what she was doing. I don't know about what the law was in, but I can pretty see that was probably punishable by, by death. So she risked, she took a risk doing what she did, hiding the spy. That was treason. She hid them and protected them. There was a covenant that was made between her and Joshua. But there was a risk that took place for her family, that they would be safe. We see that um, Rahab knew what was about to happen in her city, and she acknowledged God's sovereignty. In Joshua 2.11, for the Lord your God is uh, is God in heaven, above, on earth, and below. She shared her belief and extended an offer to Joshua's men. She would help them in exchange for her family's protection, and the men agreed. And as a result, she was spared. Joshua 6.25 says, So Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, and her relatives, who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies. Joshua sent to Jericho along uh, among the Israelites, Israelites that day. So I want to share this with you. i got six things I want to share with you right now. One is this. Leaders take risk. Everyone in this room is a leader destined to lead. You're a leader. Leaders take risk. We see in Joshua 2, 1 to 4, um, it's when the spies came into Jericho, they came to Rahab's house. She could have easily turned them over. People told the king where the spies went. Like they had already told, they knew they were there, right? The, the, the king of Jericho even sent a message to Rahab directing her to turn them over. She took a risk and hit them and lied about where they had gone. This could have gone really, really bad for her. Really bad. She took a risk to protect them, to protect her family. And because of that risk, it came with a great reward. Number two, leaders are able to recognize circumstance. We see that in Joshua 2, verse 9 through 11. Rahab did what most leaders, great leaders do. She was able to recognize the circumstance around her. Great leaders are able to understand the times and the seasons and the circumstances. They know when to act and when not to act. Rahab knew this was a time to act. She understood that the Lord had given her the land to the, uh, to, to the Israelites and negotiated with the spies to save her family. She was able to see through the, see through the fear of the situation and act wisely. See, when you take a risk, fear will come. 
Well, I want you to step out and do it. Listen, it could be something simple. I mean, whatever it looks like in your life. He wants you to take a risk in doing that, spreading the gospel. Man, I, I can give so many different ways, but but fear will come. But we got to be able to see through the situation. We got to be able to surpass fear. Number three, leaders understand the principle of exchange. And integrity. Joshua 2, verses 12 and 14. Rahab required the spies to swear an oath to her because she had dealt with the spies. The principle of exchange is responding to a positive action with another positive action. The men accepted the stated in their uh, I'm sorry. They accepted and stated for their lives for her life. The requirement was that each would stand by their word. Rahab would tell the would uh, not tell the business of the spies. She was a woman of her word and knew the spies would be a woman of their word. This is the principle of integrity. Number 4. Leaders are focused on others. Rahab negotiated with the spies to save her household. When we moved to Alabama, we had no idea what it was supposed to look like. We completely said yes to the Lord. But it was that season of growing in Alabama that prepared us for Ohio. We didn't see Ohio when we were saying yes to Alabama. All we saw was a situation. Was there fear? There was a lot of fear. It was the fear of the unknown. It was the fear of what are we going to eat? Where are we going to live? That's just from our perspective. What would it look like from our kids' perspective? Where am I going to go to school? My son was a senior. He'd been in this. He'd been through like like. Junior high all the way to his senior year. And now you're going to move me, Dad? I mean, all my friends. I mean, I went to school with all these. I mean, I'm supposed to walk the stage and graduate with all the people that I know. Now you want to move me to a state and I don't know anybody? And my other perspective, like, well, Dad, I want to play football. This is what I'm doing. Like, I mean, you're going to take away my friends. How, how, I mean, that ain't right. Because, see, the, the, the risk was we were making a decision that wasn't just going to affect me and my wife, but it was going to affect my children. But the Lord was preparing us in that journey for what he had prepared for us here in Ohio. Because we go to, Ohio, we go to a lot of things happen in, in, in Alabama, but, but towards the end, one of the things that happened was we began to be a part of a ministry and we begin to help at this, at a level of, of administration and planting and, 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 you know. Then when we come to Ohio, it's like, wait a minute, this is everything that we were doing in Alabama. And we're sitting in a room like, God, you're so funny. 
Like you were like you you knew what you were gonna do here when we went when we said yes back then. God is saying, listen, if you take a risk today, I'm preparing you for what I have for you tomorrow. So what if the job you're gonna take is gonna pay you three dollars less an hour? But it's going to allow you to be with your family. Because you got a son and daughter that needs you. But I need the money. You don't know the bills that I have. Pastor, you don't get it. They're going to give me four bucks more an hour. Right? The Lord said, listen, I'm going to give you this, but I'm going to give you your family. I'm going to give you all this stuff because I, I have a call and a purpose for your son and daughter that you need to be there to protect and walk them through because their destiny depends on you saying yes today. you got to take a risk. We position ourselves for the promise. See, Rahab had to do that. She had to position her family for the promise because had she not positioned for the purpose and the destiny that was on her family, she would have been killed with everybody else. But there was wisdom because she recognized the power of God that surely your God is the God. Your God is with you. We've seen what your God does. There's a risk. And it's not just about finances. It could be about our children. It could be about our marriages. It could be, I mean, listen, the Lord wants us to, to trust him in all things. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you, you know, if you're in a season where you find yourself working in your job and no, that's, that's, that's not what I'm saying. You will know when the Lord begins to lead you. When things begin to get uncomfortable and when things begin to pull you away from God, how can that be God? When the very thing comes against you and pulls you away from your purpose and your destiny, don't tell me that's God. I don't care how much money you're making. Leaders are focused on others. Rahab negotiated with the spies to save all those in her household. She wasn't worried about herself. She took a risk for those people that she loved. That's deep. My gosh. She could have easily just asked for herself, but she didn't. She asked for the spies to save her family, her mothers, I mean her mother, her brother, her sisters. Nowadays, people are like, hey, forget my brother, shoot. <laughs> I mean, it's sad, but it's true. But she laid it down for everybody. This tells us that Rahab was not selfish, that she valued her family, asking for them and all to be saved. 
That's what a leader does. The leaders will take you with them. They don't leave you there to... Number five, leaders accept responsibility. The scripture you can read in that is going to be in Joshua 2.17 through 21. But for this, debt, for this oath, this agreement to be fulfilled, it required each party to fulfill their obligation and accept responsibility. Rahab had to accept the responsibility and complete all that was required by her family for her, that her family had to, to be in her house, and there had to be a scarlet cord in the window. There was a responsibility on her part. Risk takes responsibility. Risk takes responsibility. Risk has accountability. Wow. If this were done, then her family would be saved because the men would have fulfilled their would have fulfilled it and would have accepted their responsibility. The other thing is, number six is, leaders are people of action. Come on. They are people of action. Rahab tied the scarlet cord in the window and gathered her family. She took action and fulfilled her responsibility. Risk requires you to step out. I mean, are you guys grabbing? I know I'm, I'm giving a lot of scripture. I know we're reading a lot, but I need you to hear. Risk requires action. God, I'm just, you know, are we in that place of just the, like, oh, I, I want to, you know, and I, I want this for the Lord. I need this for the Lord. But we, we just want to get comfortable and sit in our chairs. I'm, I'm not speaking, this is not for nobody in this room, okay? Don't get me wrong. But I'm saying we have that mentality, that mindset. We get that, right? How can I expect to want to lose weight if I don't want to diet? Can I be honest, right? Good God, help me with that. But we got to take responsibility. Take responsibility. If I'm a leader, then I got to change the things in my life. I got to take action. I got to push the french fries away. <laughs> it requires action. I know it's a funny analogy, but man, I'm trying to give you a language that you understand. You want to see breakthrough for your family? Well, you got to get on your knees and pray. I want to see my son and daughter walking in their purpose and their destiny. Oh, they're so far, they're so lost. Well, what are you doing to take a risk for them? Are you laying yourself down for them at the altar? Right? Are we more concerned about our job duties or, or what's going on? You know, I mean, this, I, I put something out there on my Facebook the other day about a table. <laughs> right? And Jesus was at the Last Supper. Did y'all see that? And the table was empty. Jesus was there and he was just looking around. And everyone, what if the disciples would have had an excuse? All right, we look at this room. Where's a lot of people at? Matthew was like, oh, sorry, Pastor, I had to, I had to do my taxes today. 
oh, pastor, I'm so sorry I couldn't make it, man. My, my, my mother called me, and I was on the phone. And by the time I knew it, it got so late. Come on, I'm just saying, right? How, we can't even make it to church, and it's not about coming to a building. But I'm saying it's about positioning yourself. It's a hard posture with the Lord. It's about posturing and positioning. We want to position ourselves for the promise. Come on. If you haven't seen it, go and check it out. I'll leave it with that. Yeah, I just got quiet on me. <laughs> what would have happened if Rahab would have done nothing? We would have had a different story in history. But because of her actions, we see her listed in Hebrews 11 <laughs> as one of the great leaders. That's a prostitute. How about that, Mr. Religion? Right? She's like, good God, help us. Yep, pretty good for a woman who was overlooked, right? Listen, I'm going to close with this. Revival, I'm sorry, I think a revival in my mind. When taking risk, when taking risk, mistakes will be made. Your mistakes are not your failures. They're the stepping stones to walking the miraculous. Come on, man. You know that the enemy uses our failures against us to get us to stop. And if we keep stopping, <laughs> then when we stop, we get discouraged because the enemy will try to bring hope deferred. But the Lord wants you to know that your mistakes are not failures. You're going to make mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes. That's why I feel like today, this morning, the Lord is saying, will you take a risk? Will you take a risk this morning? What does your risk look like for you? Is it your family? Is it your job? Is it your, 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 your husband, your wife? Well, you don't, know my, you don't understand my relationship with my husband or my wife. We're not getting along anymore. All we're doing is fighting, and I just can't do it no more. Is he worth the risk? What about his purpose? What about her purpose? Her destiny? What about your son and daughter who's addicted to drugs and, and alcohol, and he's a drunk on the street? You don't understand my son. He's so far gone. Are you willing to take a risk for your son? Oh, but that's going to cost me, Pastor. You don't understand that. I, I, can't, I can't do it. I, I can't. I mean, you're asking so much for you. Well, that's why it's called a risk. If it wasn't a risk, it wouldn't be. I mean, it wouldn't be easy. It would be easy. The 
Lord's asking from you today, will you take a risk for me? He said, stop drinking the dirty waters and open wide to the reservoirs of heaven where the waters are milky goodness of his presence and his glory. You see, seeing God through our eyes of emotion, it'll devalue how we see who God truly is and how he is to his bride. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to hear this. I want you to capture this in your spirit. Holy Spirit. Your mistakes have no bearing on your destiny. Your destiny is the result of his love for you. And how we respond in the growing stages of our mistakes. It doesn't matter the mistakes that we've had, that we've taken in our marriages. Maybe even the way the things that we did in our past where condemnation would come like, well, I wasn't a good mother or I wasn't a good father. I found myself having to repent of that. So God, forgive me for the times that, that I wasn't a good father to my kids. And I wasn't a good picture of, of you, God. But your mistakes are not your, doesn't define your destiny. You're a son. You're a daughter. And you're made in the image of God. You have a purpose and a destiny in the kingdom of heaven. But for some of us, the Lord is saying, will you take a risk for your purpose and destiny? See, eventually we'll get there. You may be saved and you give your life to the Lord and, and there's all that reward. We get, we get to go to heaven. and Right? And I'm, I'm happy with that. But my heart's desire is to see heaven here on earth. And in order for us to see heaven here on earth, it requires a risk. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. I'm, I'm a really shy person. I, I, don't, I don't talk. For, I'm, an, I'm an extrovert. Or is that introvert? I don't know what that was. Introvert. There you go. I'm an introvert. I don't talk well. Unless, I don't talk to people well. Well, take a risk. Talk to someone. Step out of your box. Take off that comfort t-shirt. <laughs> Take a risk. I really feel that 
the Lord gave me a word a couple days ago, maybe a week or so, and he said that the heavenly alignment was here, that we we're seeing a shift in the spirit. And I believe that now more than ever that we are about to see a shift. There is something that is shifting in the spirit for the bride. And I believe the Lord is wanting to align us in the place and he wants us to position us for the promise to step into the purpose and the destiny of what he has created us to do for today and to what's to come. That's why when we're talking about evangelism and we're doing these examples and we're doing these teachings, there should be no reason why on a Thursday night we're not packed. There should be no reason why. Take a risk. Come on a Thursday night. Some of y'all, that's a risk. That means you can't watch your favorite Blue Blood show. Right? There's no condemnation of the Lord. That's Holy Spirit bringing conviction. We got to take a risk. We want to see revival come. We want to see revival move. Revival starts every day. Every day. Let's stand tonight, this morning. Father, we just thank you for this word, God. Lord, I just pray, God, that, that there would be clarity and understanding, Lord, of what was released, God. And I just come against any confusion, God. Lord, and I, I rebuke all thoughts of condemnation, God. Lord, you say to speak truth, God. So we speak truth in your love, God, in your presence, God, and that you are positioning us, God, for a greater glory, God. That this morning, Lord, you would bring a it would bring an awakening to our to our hearts, Lord. That we would begin to think and ponder. What risk am I taking today, Jesus? Have I even risked anything, Lord? Am I risking anything? Or am I just comfortable with what man has provided for me? Holy Spirit, you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, God, what your Spirit is declaring in this morning, this day. I pray, God, that as we go forward, Lord, that, that you would put a hunger inside of us, Lord, a hunger for the lost, a hunger for the harvest, Jesus, that we would step out of our box, God, and we would impact somebody, Lord, and we would tell them about your goodness, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would give us supernatural strength, God. I speak to... I just speak purpose and destiny over every single one that's watching, that's in this room, God, this building, that we would step into our destiny this afternoon, right now, our purpose, God, right now. And I declare, God, an awakening right now in the spirit, God. I declare, God, a greater glory, God, that would come, God. I declare, God, right now that revival would be our portion and our bone, God. That there would be a fire that you would burn forth inside of us, God. Not to be content, God, with the normal status quo, God. But that you would make us hungry, God, for the more. Help us to take a risk this morning. 
to be a better wife, to be a better husband, to be a better son and a better daughter. And everything that we do, Jesus, you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I love you guys. God bless you.